Good evening. Teaching from the pulpit is a new experience for me, although I have been dreaming about it for years. <laughs> and I don't mean that I've looked forward to this moment with great anticipation, <laughs> hoping that someday this would come, but that I actually have had dreams of standing in this very spot, getting ready to teach over the years. And this recurring dream, there's two variations of it. In the first dream, I'm standing here and I can't find my notes. And it's awkward and humiliating. And I don't know what to say. But the second version gets even worse, as you might imagine. For whatever reason, in this version of my dream that I've had many times over the years, I am wearing very little. And in that dream, I'm trying to remain positive, and I think to myself, well, at least I have my notes. <laughs> so while I am a little nervous, I'm mostly just relieved to find that in the reality of this moment, I have both my notes and my clothes. And it's great to be able to laugh together as a family. It's probably more important that we learn together so we're going to pick up in our One Another series tonight. We're going to be looking at the biblical call to instruct one another. Something that I have noticed as we've been going through these studies is there, there's a lot of overlap with the one another's in Scripture. For example, using tonight's teaching of instruct one another, we should also be encouraging one another, living in harmony with one another, and welcoming one another as we instruct one another. In other words, while the one and others are each important and necessary, it seems none of them can be done well without incorporating other one another principles. It might be helpful to know that the phrase one another comes from the Greek word eleilon. When translated from the one word in Greek, it becomes our two words, one another or each other. This word, alone is used a hundred times in the New Testament, and about 59 of them are specific commands teaching us how to relate to one another. Many of these are written to the local church, teaching believers how to relate to other believers in the church. So tonight we're going to start in Proverbs, talking about instruction, and we're going to use that as a springboard into Romans 15, and then we'll conclude in Colossians 3. We'll be looking at different aspects of instruction in different ways that we instruct one another. When I think of the word instruction in general, my mind kind of goes to maybe how-to videos or instructions on DIY projects. But DIY, doing it yourself, is not how we're called to live the Christian life. Rather, we are called to live in community. You could say that we're called to a life of one anothering. Now, when I think of instruction in the Bible, my mind goes to the book of Proverbs. That word is used 25 times in the book, and the, the Hebrew phrase for instruction means to teach or cause intelligence. It is committing information to knowledge. In other words, don't just hear the instruction, but remember it. The hope in Proverbs is that remembering instruction will lead to wisdom and making good choices. The goal of Proverbs is conveniently laid out in the second verse, Proverbs 1, 2, 
The goal is to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. The instruction of Proverbs is very practical, and verses 4 and 5 tell us who this is for. It says that it's for the simple. It's what we might call the less educated. It's for youth. And it's for the wise that they may increase in learning. Much of Proverbs is addressed to a young man, but we see that it's not just for youth, but it's also for described as to the wise as well. And I think that what it's saying is that no matter your age, if you are wise, you will pay attention to instruction and benefit from it. It would be an arrogant man indeed who thinks that he has learned it all. In verse 7 of chapter 1, it gives the core truth of Proverbs when it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You might say, I thought the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says here it's the beginning of knowledge. You would be correct. Uh, Wisdom and knowledge are very closely tied together in Proverbs. And the verse you're probably thinking of is in chapter 9, verse 10, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If we combine these two verses, it would read something. But the church isn't meant to replace the parents in instructing our children, but rather it comes alongside parents, assisting them in their God-given roles. Ephesians 6, 4, speaking to fathers, Paul said to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I urge you parents to learn the Bible well and teach your children a biblical worldview because our culture is more than happy to instruct our kids. At the same time, we pray that our kids will establish friendships with believers who will urge them toward godliness. And we pray that our sons and daughters will know the truth well enough to instruct others, and thus that iron sharpening iron principle also found in Proverbs. We also need to receive instruction from the most experienced believers in our church. Some of you have been following Christ for 40, 50, 60 plus years, and the The wisdom that you have gained through scripture is a treasure to the rest of us. So if you fall into that category, I would urge you to to get involved or stay involved in the relationships and ministries of the church. One place that this instruction can be done well is in the adult Sunday school classes, where believers of different generations can instruct one another. Recently, I had a high school graduate ask me how he could join an adult Sunday school class. And it does me good to think of him there, learning from the older generations, and at the same time, what he'll be bringing to the group from a younger person's perspective, and what he's learned from the scriptures. If you're an adult who hasn't joined a small group, I would encourage you to do that. Instructing one another is alive and well in our mentoring moms group at First Baptist. Young moms and Not as young of moms, get together in a home and share a meal together and teach biblical principles on how to be a godly wife and mother. And We need to be praying for this ministry as they are seeing much fruit. And undoubtedly the enemy will take notice of that. Instructing one another is happening in our adult Bible studies and the Mighty Oaks ministry and several other ministries of the church as well. On the very next verse, verse 15, Paul says, But on some points I have written to you boldly by way of reminder, 
because of the grace given me by God. I think many of the things we're instructing one another in are just reminders. Reminders of things that maybe we've already heard but need reminded of. Just because we've read a passage of scripture doesn't mean that we know it. We need reminded as we continue to learn together. Paul also notes that it's only by the grace of God that he can be a spokesperson for Christ. Paul would probably say that the only title he ever earned for himself was chief of all sinners. We too should show hum humility when we're instructing one another. But all of this begs the question, what are specific things we should be reminding one another of? The book of Romans would be a great place to start. Jim Culp's Sunday school class will be studying Romans this year, I hear. At this point in chapter 15 of Romans, Paul is winding down a letter that is full of instruction for the church. Romans chapter 12 alone could keep us one anothering for a very long time. I believe that of the many things that we remind each other of, they should all be God-honoring, truth-seeking, and humility-filled. Here's a few specific things that I came up with that we should be reminding each other of. The inerrancy and authority of Scripture. That God is the creator and sustainer of all things. That we are made in the image of God for the glory of God. That we are to worship the one true God. That God created male and female and they have specific roles in the family. We remind one another that we are born sinners in need of a savior. We instruct one another that there is a real heaven and a real hell. and We are called to take part in reaching all peoples with the gospel of Christ. We remind one another that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died an excruciating death, overcame sin and death through the resurrection, and yes, he's coming again. We remind each other of the teachings of Jesus found in the Gospels and what it really means to love our Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and how to love our neighbors as ourselves. We remind each other that we are called to not conform to to the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our minds through Scripture. Remind one another that there will be trials in this life, and yet God is so faithful. We remind each other that our hope and joy doesn't rely on politicians and outcomes of elections. Our hope and future is secure in Jesus. We also lovingly admonish a brother or sister if they are believing or teaching something contrary to God's word or if they have unrepentant sin in their life. This just scratches the surface, of course. I'm sure as I was reading this list, you were thinking of things. And this can't just be done from the pulpit. This requires personal relationships, much like Chad was talking about in the Sunday school hour today. We're going to shift gears now one more time to a passage where it would be Colossians 3 where Paul is talking to another local church and he's talking about putting on the new self and focusing on things above, not on earthly things. In verse 16 of Colossians 3 it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There seems to be three evidences that the word of Christ is dwelling in the believer here. 
teaching, which we talked about in Proverbs, admonishing, which we covered in Romans 15, and singing. The singing part here is interesting to me. Paul encourages singing various types of songs, much like how the psalmist encouraged using different types of musical instruments to praise the Lord with. Singing praise to God is largely showing our gratitude to him rather than focusing on ourselves and our desires or preferences. It seems that God is pleased with praise coming from diverse genres of music like he's pleased with praise coming from diverse peoples, namely every people group on earth. Now, there's an old story about a, a church member who went with a complaint after the service to the pastor. He didn't like some of the songs being sung and one of the instruments being used. And the pastor listened patiently to the man's complaints. And when it came time for him to respond, he said, well, I guess it's a good thing that we didn't come here to worship you today. And the reason that's funny is that there's a certain element of truth as we all have our preferences and we tend to make things all about us. And when we sing, it's not meant to be a time filler in the service, just to get us to the sermon. The word sing is used in the Bible over 400 times. And at least 50 of those are commands to sing. You see, you're not just invited to sing as believers, we're actually commanded to do so. It also doesn't say if you have a good voice, come together and sing in perfect harmony like the angels. We're all called in scripture to make a joyful noise unto the Lord with the voice that he's given us. Something that I've personally noticed is that sometimes I sing because I'm thankful, but many times I become thankful as I sing. Maybe you can relate to that. I think joy is the same way. You could put that word in there too. So while singing is not all about us, it can benefit us. But there seems to be something here too that while we are worshiping God by singing, we're also instructing one another. The NIV translates this verse, verse 15, this way. You teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Paul, when writing to a, a local church in Ephesus, said something similar when he said to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So when we sing together, we are praising the Lord, but we're also building each other up and teaching principles and truths from God's word to one another, reminding each other what we believe. I know it's entirely possible to sing something you don't believe. It's possible to believe something you don't sing about, but generally speaking, if I see you singing from your heart, I'm encouraged that you believe what you are singing. Singing hymns also connects us to a Christian heritage of hundreds of years, singing the same words and sometimes in the language style of a long time ago. Now, if I run into Jim Davis and he asks me how I'm doing or what I've learned lately, I'm probably not going to say, you know, Jim, I've been contemplating about my sin Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, Jim. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Jim. Now, I might have a good conversation with Jim about my sin and how thankful I am that I don't have to face the eternal consequences because of Jesus. But when I sing verse 3 of it as well with my soul, with 
two or three hundred of my brothers or sisters or 100 on a night like tonight. I'm telling them how thankful that I am for that truth and they're reminding me of the same thing. And at the same time, because of that vernacular used, I'm remembering that millions of my brothers and sisters have sung those same words over the years. And that ties me back to that Christian heritage. The Lord has also gifted many songwriters of our day so that we get to sing hymns and spiritual songs like In Christ Alone, Cornerstone, so many others. We had a new, this one, a new one this morning that was great. So I urge you to sing to the Lord and instruct one another at the same time. Now I'm going to use two words that you undoubtedly have been waiting to hear in conclusion. I don't want to come between a Baptist and a potluck. So in conclusion, we see from Proverbs, Romans, and Colossians that as we fear the Lord, and as we show honor to one another, as we love one another, as we serve one another, as we accept one another, we use a variety of ways that are God-honoring, truth-seeking, and humility-filled to instruct one another. I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to sing a hymn together. Let's pray. Father God, we believe that you are who you say you are. And we are in awe of you. You're so thankful for the Bible, Lord. As we hear instruction from your word, help us to remember it and obey it. Help us to know the truth and humbly instruct one another in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.